special episode of Polygon's Quality Control Podcast. It is the Star Wars The Last Jedi deep dive episode. We don't talk a ton of movies here in Quality Control, but it's it's kind of been an annual tradition now, three years running for us to talk about Star Wars. So let's, let's get into it. Uh, I've got with me today uh, our entertainment editor, Susanna Polo. How are you, Susanna? I'm good. Had a nice Star Wars weekend. <laughs> nice. Also joining us, Senior Editor of Opinions, Ben Kachera. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great. I'm preparing a nice dinner of Porg for me and the family Ooh. tonight, as other Porg look at me balefully. And Guides Editor, Dave Tack. How are you, Dave? Oh, I'm good and conflicted I think, about Star Wars. <laughs> I think a lot of us are conflicted. I myself am so conflicted with this movie, I had to go see it twice. I did yeah. not like it. The first time. Yeah. Uh, and then I went and saw it at uh, in 4DX at a Marcus Cinema, which in my opinion was <laughs> a waste of money. Uh, the Blade Runner 4DX experience was much better, but we can talk about that on a different podcast. But I left that second viewing, that more detailed viewing, thinking that this might be like my second favorite Star Wars oh, well, of all of a, time. That's a heck of a mm. turnaround. Yeah. Susanna, what did you think? Well, I reviewed it for Polygon, so you guys can read my my opinion on it in great detail. <laughs> um, but I, I super enjoyed it. Um, I really like where, I really like the the place that it took everyone from the end of Force Awakens, and where it put. I think the movie really surprised me in making some decisions that I didn't expect, but that were smarter than what I expected it to do. Um, so that's that's just a win win for me. Ben, what are your thoughts? I was really impressed by the fact that we were two thirds of the way through it. And I remember thinking in certain pivotal scenes that I'm sure we'll talk about, I have no idea what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Usually I feel like in, in these tentpole films, you kind of see each beat coming. Whereas with this one, there were some decisions made that totally blindsided me. And that is such, and I watch like every trailer, like I didn't even attempt any kind of blackout. And that was such a refreshing thing that that went a long way towards me really liking it. I felt like it was bloated and very long, but overall, in terms of Star Wars, this was a, a very good Star Wars. Dave, your opinions uh, were a little more conflicted, I think, than, than some of the rest of us. That, that is fair to say. Uh, I, I guess the, the, the caveat here is that I feel like I'm still working through exactly how I feel, but I can tell you that there are parts of the movie that I love, and there are parts of the movie that I hate. Uh, and I feel weird about that because I, even, and I'm including the prequels when I say this, like, uh, that's not typically where I find myself on a, uh, on a Star Wars movie. I, that's not entirely true. There are parts that I, of other Star Wars movies that, you know, I haven't been in love with, but for this, I like it. Yeah. There's a lot going on in, in this movie and some of it just does not, I am having a very difficult time drawing a connecting line between what I knew about star Wars and its characters and, and where those characters 
are or who I'm supposed to believe they are. So oh, wow. it's 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 yeah, it's it's weird. Like I said, I'm still sort of working it out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the goal today is to talk about the first two acts of the movie. We're going to reserve the final third act for a second podcast that we want to have out next week at the soonest. Um, so sit back, enjoy the ride, listeners. And, uh, you know, if you're not real into Star Wars, then just wait for our next game that we are discussing here in Quality Control. But for now, for the next two weeks, this is your life. So get into it. Um, <laughs> all, spoilers are on. If you haven't gotten that by now, we're going to spoil this movie in great and elaborate detail, whether you like it or not. Uh, And please stop listening now. If you've not seen the movie, please, 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 please. Can't say it strongly enough. Now that we're through that, on with the show. Now, this movie begins with, as all the main continuity uh, films do and have up to up to this point, with that opening crawl. And the first line of text that comes across the screen is, the first order Rains. I didn't expect that. <laughs> they seemed like they were pretty blood. They were pretty shaken up last time around. How? When was last time around? Does anybody have a sense of that? I, I think I'm. What I'm kind of fascinated by is that this appears to pick up mere hours after uh, the end of the yeah, Force Awakens. I, I feel like and then it's, the whole it's, movie it's, takes it's, place. It's Judging by a line about how, like, they have to get back within 18 hours, the whole movie takes place over the course of, like, maybe two days, which makes this, like, the weirdest week of Finn's life. (laughs) He's been through a lot. He just, he gets no rest. And especially Um, in October, I I think that a lot more time should have passed on Octo with with um I wanted to say Leia but with Luke and Ray than than with the fleet like it, mm. it's very strange. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean this is this is there assuming is some it's weird... happening in parallel too. There might be some futzing with the timeline, but yeah. Yeah. They do that Star Wars thing where it does feel like depending on what area of the galaxy you're looking at there's some weird time dilation things right. like how long did it take where uh luke to get to dagobah that's like here's there's the nerd question to begin yeah. the podcast like i don't know but right. it wasn't or, really fast or did he train with yoda for like yeah. three days or was he there for six yep. months like i've heard it argued both right. ways and like how how does uh time work in space right, I think, like I think maybe all. someone's really gonna whiteboard this and figure is, out like oh is, no he was there eight months it is way too early it, in this podcast to start whiteboarding how time works how time in Star Wars. <laughs> i think i think ryan johnson brought in stephen hawking and was like we actually need to work out relativistic speeds and light speed because i'm gonna have every single bit of logistics in this film be 100 percent. the first thing that happens in this film after the opening crawl is this this beautiful moment between Poe Dameron, Commander Poe Dameron, in the cockpit of his modified, souped-up X-Wing, and General Hux, who, best I can figure it, is a bumbling idiot. <laughs> yeah, I what mean, you well, guys... Snoke calls him that in so many words a few scenes yeah. later. Um, but yes, I, I very much enjoyed um, uh, Commander Hux and Poe being on a bad Skype call for work. <laughs> together <laughs> yeah. it sounded much like our pre-show I, here actually it, it actually reminded it reminded me really intensely of poe's first like poe and uh kylo ren's first scene in force awakens where this huge like ominous you know 
the First Order shows up like, oh, these are the bad guys. And then the very first thing that Poe does is he starts making fun of them. Mm-hmm. Are you going to talk or am I going to talk? No, it, was, it was great. It was a wonderful way to kind of break the tension in the theater too, right? Everybody's been waiting two years for this big momentous yeah. thing. Like, nope, let's start with some giggles. And, and then- it immediately sets like the tone of oh, yeah. the movie. Yeah, this is the first of many jokes to come. But then they go into this B-17, uh, you know, bomber run over the top of this, uh, what is it called? A devastator or a, a dreadnought. dreadnought. This super massive dreadnought with these two miniature Death Star lasers underslung beneath it and these daring rebel bomber pilots in their shaking, juddering mountains of bombs underneath each of these ships. Poe clears out the defenses and everybody goes to quarters and Oh, guys, this battle. I was so excited about this battle. (laughs) The second time through, I was definitely like, like, I bet Charlie will like this. (laughs) (laughs) This film does it a few times, this thing where it's like the the odds are stacked so far against you and we're going to run screaming at this thing and we're all going to die. And then it stretches it out for like a half an hour. And so you're like, okay, they would have been dead by now, right? Like that went on. They tried to stretch that tension way further than maybe they should have. Well, it, it was that bombing run happens across six <laughs> weeks. <I guess. laughs> it was it was one of my favorite engagements, naval engagements of all of Star Wars history. Leave me this, my goodness, the way that they armed the bombs, <laughs> and then that that ship that had mm-hmm. had the bombs armed, the Tie Fighter crashes into Bombay doors, and the bombs go everywhere and break up half the formation, and then that that ends up being. The, the death that sets off one of our new characters on this emotional arc throughout the yeah. entire movie. I thought it was just a beautiful way to open it. But it also brings up this other plot line of insubordination. There are mm-hmm. so many people who are mm-hmm. insubordinate in this movie, and it starts mm-hmm. out with Poe in this bombing run. God, that think, was, sorry, go ahead, Dave. I think Poe probably has the best character arc of anybody in, yes. in the movie. There's a lot, first of all, well, let me just say this at right now as I'm thinking about it. Uh, there's a lot of characters in this movie, an awful lot of them. There's a lot of movie in this movie, too. Um, but you only get uh, it's hard to tell a story uh, when you have a bunch of effectively main characters uh, because it's hard to give them all, I think, a, uh, you know, their moment to shine, their moment to grow or whatever. And uh, I think Poe. A great example of a movie that does this is, I think, the first Avengers movie, right? Like, just anybody in there could be and was but basically, uh, you know, the star of their own movie. And yet they all got time uh, to, to sort of shine. In this movie, they have a more difficult time as as there are, you know, many uh, concurrent storylines and people flung to different places. But Poe's story in particular, like from what you call in, in insubordination, which I think is exactly it, Charlie, uh, to to the person he grows to be at the end of the movie is is probably the best example of a character who actually does have a very solid arc, like doesn't just stay the same, but grows because of the situations he's in. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I love that he got such a good character arc after basically sort of accidentally being in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Initial drafts of The Force Awakens had him dying on Jakku, and they only, like, later on, like, that's why his coming back seems so improbable, is that mm-hmm. it wasn't really supposed to be in there, and I guess they decided that, you know, um, Oscar Isaac was just too handsome to not be in the rest <laughs> of the movie. Um, but I loved that A, he got his he got a very solid character arc in this movie, and B, that his character arc was, hey, we don't really know anything about this guy except he's really good at flying uh, flying ships. What if he was bad? <laughs> like, what if, what if he was actually kind of like a shitty commander? Yeah. Like, what if he kind of wasted resources and, and didn't like to hear the hear people tell him no? Lot, lots of guts, not a ton of brains yeah. when it comes to strategy and i've been reading and all of this... the the uh, poe dameron comics as well leading up to this movie it's like the most prequel to this movie that i could get but it's still a prequel to the force Awakens anyway and that's that's how he is in all these comics too like he's just yeah. not doing smart things left and right what yeah. were you gonna say ben there's this like trope in in pop culture where you can tell someone doesn't deserve to have power in a film because they have it. The police chief is an Mm -hmm. idiot and he's wrong for ever telling the detective no because our plucky detective knows better because he doesn't have authority. If you have power, you are like, by definition, stupid. And it turns out in the world of Star Wars, some people who have power actually do know what they're doing and maybe you should just shut up and and fly your x-wing because that's literally your role in this military is to fly an x-wing and like the person in charge doesn't have to justify anything to you and it's like i've i've had conversations where people were like well if there was a good plan why why didn't they tell poe and it's like because he's a a pilot Mm -hmm. like your commander in chief doesn't sit down with every pilot and go, "Hey, this is like this is our our you know fifteen step plan." I want you to feel good about it. You in particular, no. I I need you in particular. Yeah. I need buy in. No, like it turns out we train pilots and soldiers that when they get orders to go and do it because that's how the chain of command works. Right, and that was literally a yeah. plot point. It's yeah. like shut up and fly right. your. You are there. Lane. You're the only person we sent in on this run because you're the best. That's. That's like know your role in in some sense there. Yeah, I will say like I I I'd love Poe's character arc and I like that. I think the prevalence of people asking that question shows that Last Jedi needed to state that a little more clearly in order to get its point across. Like it needed to have someone someone say very bald bald facedly to Poe like, "Hey, I don't actually need to tell you." Because you're not a commander anymore, or throw him in the brig like they did Starbuck, right? Exactly. I thought they yeah. I thought they'd thrown him in the brig for a moment, and it was like, Poe, how you can't you can't make the ship jump to light speed if you're in the brig. Please stay out of trouble for the love uh-huh. of God. Um, <laughs> so but, uh, but that's the... that's getting ahead of ourselves, and maybe we need to move on. Yeah. yeah, sticking with this plot line, though, I want to stay here with the fleet for this next portion. The fleet jumps right, and the first order is able to track them through hyperspace. Well, and that's that's a game changer. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but there's a uh, Easter egg inside Rogue One. Yes, I've seen this screenshot floating around. 
where they find plans for a hyperspace tracking device as they're <laughs> ruffling yeah. through oh, Empire data, God. looking for the plans to the Death Star. And Pretty this good. is what gets them. Yeah. They're, they're able to do this through the advanced technology known as a plot <laughs> contrivance. <laughs> it's, there is a secret Imperial base where they just had a screenwriter write a Star Wars movie and make oh, something. Oh, wow. That's mm. cynical, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was when they even tried to describe it. It was like they were able to do this through one of the ships has a MacGuffin. It's only connected to the, the MacGuffin on our MacGuffin <laughs> ship. And if we're able to like cut that plot line in two, we'll be the free. dilithium crystal. And everyone is like, we've got to, the got di- to release yeah. the core. It's like, let's. Yeah. I felt like Matt Damon was going to pop up and go, let's science the shit out of this, <laughs> and just like. Well, you know the fat. The yeah, reverse way the polarity. To get I'm in the planet core. <laughs> oh, oh, the planet core. Always a bigger fish. <laughs> and you know, there's a six meter wide blast port that if we fire a photon, not a photon torpedo, yeah. good God, that's different. But we fire this one thing through it just right, it'll make the entire thing explode, even though that's totally stupid. And 30 years from now, we'll make a movie explaining why it's not stupid. It's totally not stupid anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to have Rogue 2, so- the hyperspace interdictor or something. Yeah. <laughs> But that is like that did fo- kind of feel like an interesting Battlestar Galactica callback mm. to me, where it's like we can keep jumping and they can keep following us, and like that—that's the rest of the film is actually this really tense idea that we're limping as fast as we yeah. can, if, just to stay mm-hmm. like twenty feet out of range of these yeah, turbo lasers. Like that's pretty just, cool, it's actually. Direct, it's the direct parallel to the Millennium Falcon can't go to hyperspace, so everything is everything is about the tension of. We have to of actually a, outrun these people. Yeah, of a slow motion car chase. Yeah. Also, it's the first time hours. that I can remember. It's the first time that I can remember in Star Wars history that anybody ever talks about fuel. Like, who knew what these yeah. ships all yeah. ran on until yeah. this movie? <laughs> Turns out there is fuel. With the, <laughs> need some gas in the hall for my with, Corellian yeah. Corvette here. <laughs> with, the, with the price of gas in this part of the galaxy, like we could pull over. It's like those arguments you have with your partner all the time. It's like, I mean, we can't, if we're driving to Florida, we can't pull over here. It's like 30 cents. <laughs> we're never going to make it. We're on E. Yeah, but we're going to save like $6. Like we might break down, sure, but we're going to save a few bucks. Well, I want to get back to the the second act of that fleet battle. But meanwhile... We, we rejoin the story with Ray handing that lightsaber to Luke Skywalker. And well, they, they literally replay. Like what? Go ahead. They, <laughs> oh, you're, now you're really baking my noodle, Dave. Um, we, it, they literally replay the end of The Force Awakens. They, they replay the scene. Ray walks up, she opens up her bag, she hands it to Luke Skywalker. There's the close-up of his beautiful mechanical hand, and he looks at it, then he looks back at Ray, and then he chucks it off the cliff <laughs> over his shoulder into the surf. We, to be clear, we have waited two years to yeah. find out what happens in the next 10 seconds, mm-hmm. and the answer to that is, hilariously, he throws it over his shoulder. Yeah. I loved it. I absolutely he, loved it. And he goes and he stalks down to his sulking hut, and he slams the door. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And then he he hands Ray a Werther's original because he's an old crusty but at bastard. Heart, he's still that sulky farm boy. 
who wanted to go into the station station to pick up some power converters. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's, I, I love the fact that, and this is kind of one of the, the major themes of the film is that a lot of these people you thought were heroes are just bad. They're not that smart. They're not that wise. They don't have anything figured out. They don't have much insight. It turns out they're just bumbling along like yeah, everyone else. Mm. Yeah. And I, I feel like Luke kind of believed his own hype. And he was like, yeah, like Jedi Academy. And I'm going to resurrect this temple. And like the second he had a setback, he was like, I'm disconnecting from the living force. And I'm done. Mm. Bye. Turns out yeah. being a leader of an entire religion is hard. Well, if you look at him yeah. in Return of the Jedi, though, he gets this haughty, distant, <laughs> uh, metaphysical air to him. And it's he's completely crushed and broken in this movie. I think that is a really interesting story about being crushed or just being a regular person. And I think it would have been a much more interesting story if it were about anyone who wasn't named Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, I hate this. This really let you down. Mm-hmm. Oh, enormously. Oh. I don't, I do not, <clears throat> I think it's an interesting story. It's an interesting way to create drama and tension. What, what I've spent the last several days doing is trying, What I said this in, in sort of my <laughs> opening statement, I, I trying to draw a line between the person I saw in the original trilogy, the person who, you know, went from farm boy to Jedi master and then extrapolate from everything I knew about Luke Skywalker and create the person who I saw in this movie. And I, I just don't have it. I don't I, I don't see I, based on everything I knew about Luke Skywalker. If, 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 if we were to just divorce ourselves from this movie for a second and I said, uh, these several things happen, uh, you know, farm boy becomes a Jedi, confronts evil, uh, overcomes, uh, restores, uh, you know, balance to the force and, you know, light triumphs over dark. And there's a, a horrible tragedy within the family. Uh, and then I said, all right, that's the story of this guy. And then I said, all right, flash forward to 30 years from now. And here is a very similar situation based on everything you know about the character. What would this character do? And the Luke Skywalker of the new trilogy does what seems to me to be a bunch of things that are completely out of character based on everything I've ever seen about him committed to film. And I can't escape that. Like Mm -hmm. nothing about, for the for five sixths of this movie, nothing about what Luke Skywalker does says Luke Skywalker to me. And I, uh, I understand that things have changed. Uh, I'm not even arguing with the inciting incident that that pushed him in this direction. What I'm saying is, again, I, I, we watched Luke Skywalker become something. He grew. He changed. And at the end of Return of the Jedi. And I'm not trying to say, like, nothing happened for 30 years after the Return of the Jedi. This is, this is like, what happens here is all real. What I'm saying is that there was a trajectory that shot out of that movie. It didn't end with happily ever after, but it might as well have. And it feels, it sort of feels to me like somebody wrote a sequel 
to a Christmas Carol where uh, I wanted to say Scrooge McDuck, but that's definitely not who I mean. I mean Ebenezer <laughs> Scrooge. Uh, stars in the sequel as a grumpy old miser again and like Mm -hmm. if that's true then what the hell was the point of all the stuff that came before it Mm -hmm. like if we're just going to hit the reset button like there was it 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 in some ways like cheapens the journey that happened before it did did you not feel the same way Susanna? i think i think i can really like i think that that I think that feeling from fans is really legitimate and it is a really understandable way to feel like I can really empathize with it um, because it, there was, it, you know, there was that ending to Star Wars for a very long time. And the feeling of that ending is a va- like it, without the new context of the new movies is a, like a really valuable and a good feeling. Um, but as somebody who sort of approaches a lot of the media I consume from a more like, um, I like to get inside stories and story arcs and like think about mm-hmm. things in a more narrative context than like a, I don't know, I, I really like to sort of pick apart, pick apart stories and try to guess where they're going and figure out like what works and what makes a good plot twist and what doesn't. And that like the there was no question in my mind that like, okay, we're getting a new Star Wars trilogy. That means it's going to be about new characters. And that means that we are going to have to come up with reasons for the old heroes to not just come back and save everything. Mm -hmm. We have to set up a situation in which the new heroes do it instead. And I think that underpinning like underpins a lot of my feelings about and like my unsurprise at I like I was really sad when I found out that Han and Leia didn't get a happier happy ever after but at the same time there's a part of me that was like well like it's kind of necessary it's maybe not that they have to break up but it is kind of necessary that they get put in this position where they are not they, they were the new characters cannot lean on them yeah. for help. Yeah. I think that I think that's a great example. And actually, you know, two years ago, apparently now, when we recorded the one for the Force Awakens, like I said that my initial response to Han and Leia not being together anymore was it, like not anger, but I didn't like it. But that's an emotional reaction, yeah. right? The the inciting incident there is their son effectively becomes Darth Vader, and their relationship can't survive that. And like that, I buy. Like, I don't like it in, in my heart. I wish they were still together. But I buy that, you know, that, that something very awful happened. And they, you know, like I said, their relationship couldn't, couldn't take it. I, you know, and like, and Leia goes back right. to being a general and Han reverts to type and goes back mm-hmm. to being Han. Well, I think, But I didn't Dave, see Han Solo I... on the other side of this and say at any point, that's not Han Solo. If anything, mm-hmm. he was maybe arguably, I'm not even making this argument, but like arguably too much like Han Solo. In, in, <laughs> in, in the, the distinction here to me is I didn't see Luke in most of this movie and think that's that's too much like Luke. I saw Luke in this movie and thought that's nothing like Luke. Mm-hmm. What were we going to say, Ben? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to, Dave, I need you to make a cup of tea for starters <laughs> and just... 
calm your I, I do sense the tension in you through the force. I can I can feel you're in conflict. Let me Dave's let me be your right snow can guide <laughs> you through this. Office. So so Luke Skywalker through the original Holy Trinity does two things very well. He doesn't listen and he quits. <laughs> and he does this often. Yoda's like, hey, you should go left. And Luke's like, maybe I give you the bird and go right, because I'm awesome at being a pilot, which makes me half a Jedi. That is science. And Yoda's like that's not you you got that off of like a blog that's not actual teaching <laughs> but like so he tries to remember when they, they try to uh raise the x-wing out of the swamp he quits mm-hmm. he impetuously leaves his training and his training is barely mm-hmm. begun well he he, I, he runs I, away i like, agree with you but let me let, let, let me he doesn't his go ahead his character is someone who who doesn't listen very well who doesn't have a lot of wisdom and makes snap decisions. And I totally understand how he got here because he thought he knew a lot more than he did. And as, as like, if you go back to the original trilogy and look at all the criticisms that Yoda had for him, he says them again. He was like, yep, this is where I knew you'd end up because you didn't listen to everything I said before. And you're running into the same problems for the same uh, reasons. Just like, for me, I think the the inciting incident for Luke, like losing all hope for the Jedi, isn't even like, I had a moment where I thought I would have to kill my nephew and that was the only way. And it was just an instant, but that instant ruined our relationship and meant that I could never bring him back from the dark place that he'd gone. For me, the more emotionally resonant like moment for Luke realizing that the Jedi have to end is realizing that he as, you know, he's the guy who turned Darth Vader. He's the guy who made sure that the Emperor was ended. He's the guy who, as far as he was aware, had ended the Sith and brought balance to the Force. And not only had he failed to build a new school of Jedi, had he failed to raise his nephew to the light side of the force, he'd also failed to notice that a new Dark Lord had risen and that the <laughs> Sith were back and that he had, the cycle had not ended with him. And I feel like that more than Kylo even like would have been the moment where he was like there he, where he realizes that he is inside of the cycle and cannot change it and mm-hmm. that his only he, the only way out that he sees is to end yeah. his part of it i i agree I, i'm like i think that's exactly what luke was thinking mm-hmm. i just don't see how luke would think that and we're gonna <laughs> like, talk he he is the guy who confronts evil right uh, ben i think your examples were great i, I just think that you got to the middle movie and uh and it and it's the final movie that shows that he doesn't do that anymore he doesn't quit he confronts his father when he leaves when he doesn't listen to yoda what why does he not listen to yoda he doesn't listen to yoda to confront evil like that's what he does and the problem i could go on and i will not forever (laughs) but my problem is well i i saw a character for 30 some years who um, could have been a whiny, was whiny, sometimes quit, but ultimately grew into a person who confronts stuff and then learned a very important lesson about how, uh, you know, light can triumph over evil when he confronts stuff. The next time 
he conf- he's he is confronted with an enormous amount of evil it seems out of character for me for me not for not not just for him to say well uh i, I want to, for him to say i want to remove myself from the equation also says like to hell with the galaxy like i'm done i'm out well, that I doesn't think, feel I like i think Luke he feels that oh, yeah. what, what has happened to the galaxy is very much his fault and like he isn't worthy of being mm-hmm. the hero who drags it out of that because it was all his mm-hmm. fault in the first place. We're going to take the weapon out of the room, basically, yes. and I'm the weapon. <laughs> and I, I, I want, mm-hmm. we're going to come back to Luke and his motivations because oddly enough, he has a very big part in the second and the third acts of the movie. But I want to, for a moment, talk about the time that we spend on Octo. It's this, it's not a new planet, but we're definitely going to oh, explore Octo. You mean the montage of Luke's gross everyday activities with weird monsters? <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we finally found out where blue milk comes from. It comes I from I feel these... like that milk is oh. more teal. <laughs> what? I like, I like when the big milk creature looks over at Ray like, yeah. what's yeah. up? You, can, you, you, you want some? More... Yeah. You gonna get in on this? Like, I, I got, got plenty. Four nipples right like, here. This is this is very relaxing for me. So if you're thirsty, I'm just saying. I love pole vaulting, spearfishing, Luke. What mm-hmm. an extra way to catch a fish. <laughs> but I mean, he could just levitate. I guess we could make it visually from this impressive. Four inch ledge over here. <laughs> These are the challenges that he because sets himself. Because like the day. point oh, at, at the oh, by the way. the point of the pole vault is going to be in the same place regardless. He couldn't make a stabbing <laughs> motion from the other side of the cliff. Yeah. No. Also, he's not supposed to. He's supposed to be cut off from the force at that point. So apparently, he's just acrobatic and not using. The, like my assumption was, we're showing that he's like, look at what Luke Skywalker is powerful enough to do. And this is the nerdiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> no, he just looked down and saw a fish. Yeah. Like, there was no force power. He was just. just I mean, he's been doing it for like 20 years hole. now, so. Yeah. Probably and not 20 it, years. I don't know. When did Kylo Ren turn? It's not clear. Yeah, yeah. He looked younger, but not that. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Of course, this is when we first meet the much ballyhooed porgs as well. What do, what do you guys think <sighs> of these little critters? I think they're cute. Mm hmm. It's hard Job for me done. to get worked up one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they serve so little narrative yeah. purpose. They are literally there as like part of a target ad. Like that, <laughs> yeah. they do. They do nothing other than get like and legitimately sad because yeah. Chewbacca <laughs> killed one of them. Couple, was yeah. eating them in front of them. They seem to be See, no, wait, like no, wait, intelligent. When I saw that scene, I felt it could be read two ways. Either they are sad that he killed one of them, or they're begging for table scraps. Oh, rough. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. But it's the exact same size. <laughs> like there's another puffin yeah, sized yeah, yeah. Uh, animal there that Chewbacca that happens to be easier to catch. Uh-huh. It's also. I think he's eating that. Pork I just want to know. How he, <laughs> I, I want to know how he got those legs to crisp up like that. Is that breaded pork? Like, <laughs> no. Uh, it, you know what the one thing about it is though it's not really about porgs but just about the leitmotif of lots of animals in this movie mm-hmm. it's a thing yeah. like there's they show up yeah. a lot I'm yeah, not sure what it means or and I'm not saying I dislike it or anything but like yeah. there's definitely uh, an, an undercurrent of animals yeah here. and there there wasn't mm. but there wasn't any big monster most Star Wars movies have at least one sequence that yeah, is yeah. about a big weird monster um, even Rogue One managed to have its weird psychic octopus 
thing. Which um, sucked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there was, and, and, really, and Force Awakens is... had that, that much maligned, like, Han has three beholders on on a yeah. freighter ship. Um, but yeah, there wasn't any, like, big monster moment in this one. You You do get a sense that, like, Ryan Johnson was sitting down with like Disney executives and they're like, you can do whatever you want, but you need to add one thing. And Ryan Johnson was like, what was that? And then the Disney executive does like a huge line of cocaine and looks up and goes like crystal Pokemon. Foxes. <laughs> like that's yeah. if you sign here, you have complete creative control, but give me my yeah, crystal. You got to put in some foxes. white Voltions. And- yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, back with the rebel fleet. <laughs> On, on the uh-huh. other we end find of the galaxy, out that the forest can do anything you want it to do. Yeah. That the rules of what the forest can and can't mm-hmm. do have completely been thrown out the window, and what we've got in return is a whole new feature set of I can survive in space, pull myself back into my ship. I'm to Carrie be fair, Fisher. She almost dies. Oh, it's right. not like but she just she flies back Mary in the Poppins. door and is fine. That almost makes it you know, harder to believe because at this point, like her, her organs have been completely crisped by the vacuum of space. It's best not to think too hard about these things, Ben. Yeah. I, like, like, yeah, I the chose fact not- it was like 20 minutes later, she remembers she's half a Jedi and can save herself by the power of yeah. plot contractions. I am in favor of Carrie Fisher being allowed to be a space witch. And that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm with Susanna. I think that in that moment that the t- proton torpedoes were coming towards the bridge, she put herself in a hibernative state, which is known mm-hmm. through the force, Dave. And then once okay. she awoke after the in- initial shock, she kind of levitated herself through space a long distance. And that was weird. I, I simultaneously have uh, no problem with this and also think it's weird. <laughs> it's a weird, right? Do you think, it felt a little weird. Do you yeah. think she knew about how to hibernate before that moment or like as she's seeing the like we the just... torpedoes coming towards her that she's like really frantically downloading PDFs through <laughs> the force and like there's, there's just, gotta be something in here. I think she's no... picked up some, right. t- some tips and tricks from Luke sure, over I... the years. There's just, I think the part that makes it weird for whatever it's worth is there's no ramp up to it, right? Leia has always been on the receiving end of like force telephone calls, not FaceTime force, which mm-hmm. is a different thing in this movie, but like force calls from people. She's never in, incited. I keep using the word inciting. Like she's never started using the force. Yeah. And then it's right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then at here, she just does. And it it's not out of the question, but it is sort of jarring. Like, oh. I guess she can do that. Mm-hmm. So she makes her way back into the safety and security of the bridge. Flying witch-like is, is put in her bakta bath, and she's put aside. And who rises to take over control of the fleet but Vice Admiral Amalyn Holdo, played by Suzanne, help me here. Laura Dern. Laura Dern, with her mighty purple I like hair. Laura Dern. I, I like Laura Dern. Oh, I don't Laura think I've Dern. ever seen her in a movie outside of Jurassic Park. I thought she I thought that she did a wonderful job taking control of the situation, pushing back against um, Poe Dameron and doing what she could to triage the situation. I thought it was a sound strategy and he didn't need to know about it. And we can get to his mistakes later. But they threw away one of my favorite characters in the entire <laughs> Star Wars trilogy. They they casually spaced Admiral Akbar, and I will yeah. never forgive them for this atrocity. 
That man is a legend, and I don't care if his voice actor died a year and a half ago. They should have found a way that he was the one that took out the massive uh, ship. I, I'm still not, angry about it, and I will be forever. Not, he's a legend not, not and a meme movie. and will be remembered forever. Uh, yeah. Now, this, this movie is uh, fairly obsessed with killing uh, old things. Yeah. So, which we'll talk about I later. Yes. I think Ryan Johnson really did have this like sense for better or worse. And we'll, and we'll figure out maybe years from now, which one it was that he was like, you know, JJ Abrams set this beautiful table and kind of made a movie that like, you know, rhymed with the the original star Mm -hmm. Wars. And Ryan Johnson was like, those are beautiful plans that we can stretch out wonderfully across two more films or, Uh and then he flipped the entire table (laughs) Set the yep. whole house on yep. fire and was like, or Laura Dern. <laughs> and like, I think like it, like no joke. I, I think he made that decision across the board with everything. I think, I think where he's right. like, if you expect X, we should mm-hmm. do Y. And I think some of those decisions were amazing. And I think some of those Other decisions, decisions are likely in the hopper of the Star Wars story group and some of the, this... the Lucasfilm sort of overarching the folks who, yeah. you know, keep the arc of Star Wars going. <laughs> the committee yeah. designed to uphold yeah. Star Wars future. The Galactic I, this Senate. Gets, uh-huh, yeah, I'm not <laughs> elected to watch my... That's why I use committee, because yeah. I'm a dork. Uh, <laughs> this gets to a thing about this movie uh, that strikes me as uh, somewhat odd. I think the quickest way to say it is say what you want about George Lucas. Uh, and there are plenty of things plenty of people can say. But for the vast majority of Star Wars existence, he was the prism through which all Star Wars light had to flow. And sometimes he made good decisions and sometimes he made bad decisions. And we don't need to rehash them here. But it seems to me that uh, having, I guess, a strong man in the middle uh, lended uh, some some air of consistency to things. Not always. I understand that. But like. You know, one of the things I think the reason I fell in love with Star Wars in the first place is because those first three movies don't feel like three separate pieces by different writers or directors or they feel like one cohesive unit. This new trilogy, uh, you know, now two thirds of the way through very much feels uh, a way that Star Wars hasn't felt to me, which is we definitely got a J.J. Abrams movie. And we definitely got something very different. Now, you know, Empire's different than A New Hope, but like as a interesting middle chapter that's unresolved. But it does, I do not feel the sort of cohesion, not that they're totally disconnected or anything, but I definitely feel the author of this movie in in a way that I didn't uh, the, the, the first go around, right? Well, you know, J.J. Abrams looked back and said, and Lawrence Kasdan, and they said, uh, to go forward, we first must go back. Like, that was the was the whole idea. In, th- in this, it's like, you know, I was watching it the first time thinking, boy, they got a lot to do in the third movie to wrap this up. Because it's just very, very different. Like, not in a way that, Susanna, you talked about this in your review. Like, it is not an empire yeah. reflection. Yeah, you know? it really. Uh, and I don't know how I feel about it, yeah, but it, it's definitely different. It really starts out feeling like empire. You know, you have the Jedi going off to train and you have this cat and mouse game and you have, you know, we're going to go to this like bourgeois space plant, you know, space city 
in order to get stuff done and like um and it really like i think right about this i think probably not until it hits its third act does it really spin on that axis and go in a completely new direction um and it's and like i talked about this in my review that like i really like the decisions and how it spun um which we will get to like later on um but i think like here here and with holdo coming in is where we get our like is where we get our where where we figure out where everybody else's mm-hmm. plot is going um mm-hmm. raise is very clear but um oh well and we also get introduced to uh to our new character we do while leia is recovering after they've tucked her into her sleep pod um our our friend finn the the uh, errant stormtrooper uh well he tries to leave and he tries to leave with the transponder that is ray's connection to the rebel fleet which itself is very problematic uh, good branding for xbox and microsoft i'd say (laughs) so does it not look like an xbox logo to anybody else oh that's what you think it looks like really Hmm. (laughs) it's like a blue xbox no okay moving on next jokes Mm. all right (laughs) We can cut that one out. Uh, Pat, producer Pat, if you could just uh, remove that one. Thank you. Also keep it in. Um, So Finn tries to get into an escape pod. Apparently it's the same escape pod contractor that puts escape pods on every rebel ship in the fleet. It's the same one. So he hits the button, he tries to get in, and there is Rose. And Rose is not just there kind of sulking and hiding. She's on duty. And she is there to protect to protect the escape pods from being mm-hmm. bogarted by defectors. And she shocks the shit out of Finn and then <laughs> lugs his semi-conscious body back to the brig. It was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. It was that softness that her character was expected to have, I think, from the way it was teased. But then she's there to do her job. And she just lays them out. It was awesome. Yeah. And, like, there wasn't any, like, ambiguity there. Like, no, he was leaving. He was like, everyone is going to die. I just have to make sure Ray has a place to escape to. I am done. Right. Like, they didn't really even try to, like, gild that lily at all. He was out of there. Yeah. He feels yeah. no allegiance to this rebellion. Force be with you. Which I thought was cool. motivation in Force Awakens was, I need to go back to get Ray. Um, I need to, that yep. this is my one friend, and I'm going to go back and get her. Um, and you and know, he, and he wakes, he wakes up her. yelling her name and then bangs his head on yeah. the medical dome that is suspended over him. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, that's all, that's all he wants. I want to just mm-hmm. say from a technology perspective, I love how the use of Bakta has improved. We're not yes. floating in tanks anymore. Yes. It's really a body suit that we can wear much safer for the patient, less drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I thought that was, that was wonderful for the medical community of the Star Wars universe to have brought that yeah. about. Um, I want to know who fixed his jacket in the last 12 hours <laughs> because he got cut up <laughs> straight up his back. Well, but... And if it hurt him, that means it would ruin that jacket. Mm. So does Poe have another one? Is it? Well, the, there was the little patchwork in the in the right shoulder, though. Like, yeah. some, maybe maybe Ray spent a little time darning the right, thing before you know, she. Right, because Kylo Ren stabs him in the shoulder with like the little cross piece of his mm-hmm. lightsaber. So I guess they patched up the jacket. I want to got I need a fanfic about who patched up that jacket. Oh, this <laughs> right now. Okay, here's here's what we need as like a comic book series is like between the films when when Finn is knocked out and it's like Poe's really worried about him because they're dating. 
and he's like just sitting by his bedside telling him stories about his life while he knits up all the holes in mm-hmm. the jacket because he cares about the jacket he cares about finn he's just trying to keep him like company yeah. while he's fixing this jacket because he's like if i can save this jacket i can save <laughs> yeah, finn we've got it's the only way he feels power in this yeah, situation really, though, Jedi and he's given telling us unpre- an unprecedented look into laundry services in the star wars galaxy <laughs> <laughs> um, because now and we know he, how just, the how the first order keeps their suits so crisp oh yeah with so the good. with the landing craft <laughs> so good. Uh, irony that was yeah. really good <laughs> so good that was so good well in my 40x screening the in my 40x screening they actually like, sprayed steamy mist oh in my, my face God. during that it was that sounds, that sounds <laughs> really <wow>. hysterical <laughs> it was funnier the second time around because of the steamy mist of course while um they these two are meeting they chain their macguffins together and they hatch a plan to Just, get rid of the hyperspace tracking system mm-hmm. and that takes us to uh maz Kanada, who does a very interesting like <laughs> cameo uh, through the through the transponder yeah. maz Kanada is in the middle of a union dispute she says which <laughs> kind of struck close to home but moving on to other things and She's under fire and she's got a jetpack and she's flying around. <laughs> yeah, in, I thought my, that was in great. my notes of the screening, I wrote down Maz Kanata is having another movie's worth of adventure. In yes. This <laughs> Maz Kanata skypes in from a different movie entirely <laughs> to let them know that they yeah. have to find a sexy code breaker. She's very <laughs> specific about how sexy he is. He's well, very skilled. Yes, at other things. Um, and that sends them off. Now, for a moment, I, I also have to speak to the technology of this universe. When did cloaking come in? Like, everybody's cloaking it's been, everything. It's a thing. In this movie it's, now. It's just not been a big thing. But Dave, is there not somebody on the bridge of Snoke's ship with just like a spotting scope? Like, dude, Billy, they need- keep watching that <sighs> ship. If anything falls <laughs> off, we'd like to know about it. The tech's good, yeah. but here's some glass. Just look at it with your eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, da- they're down in like a depression. Well, you know, the people well, watching. But even, doesn't, doesn't Snoke's like throne room have like a literal telescope? It's just like, hey, look through this piece of glass. I, I wasn't sure about the was, technology that behind a, that, but like, wasn't that a but thing? Like they it's say in, in Empire um, when they the Star Destroyers lose the Millennium Falcon, one of them says, "No ship that small could have a cloaking device." Um, uh, yeah, it's a it's a thing. Okay. It's just never been. Yeah. it's just never been. It's not. It's like not a on the major plot yeah, device. It's not before. on like the level of Star Trek where everybody has mm. a cloaking device and it's always a deal. Well, I would just like to recommend like our own Pacific fleet that the First Order fleet really get back to the basics of seamanship before anybody else gets hurt. Okay, <laughs> now we're rapidly coming to the close of the second act. Back on Octo, Ray. Ray is being very annoying. Is being very annoying, and they have this confrontation inside the Jedi tree, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And I want to begin the next half of our podcast with Ray and Luke inside the Jedi tree. And we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This week's episode of Polygon's Quality Control is brought to you by Freshly. Freshly delivers fully cooked, prepared meals straight to your door. No more coming home and wondering what's for dinner or lunch. I actually had the chicken parmesan for lunch today. That's because Freshly's team of chefs and nutritionists 
are here to save the day. They saved my day today by getting me food in about three minutes. I just put it in the microwave. Three minutes later, I have a freshly prepared meal. You get to skip the shopping, the chopping, the cleanup. All you have to do is heat them up and boom, your meal is ready. And like I said, three minutes to try Freshly out. Go to Freshly.com slash quality control to get $20 off your first week. That's six meals for just $39 plus free shipping. It's busy during the holidays. Go throw six lunches or dinners in the fridge for $39 on us. Again, it's Freshly.com slash quality control. This offer is only valid for a limited time. Welcome back, everybody, to a very special episode of Polygon's Quality Control. We're talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. This is the second part of today's podcast. And when we left off, we were we were going to talk about the Jedi tree. Now, Ray is following Luke through his dubiously complex tasks that he undertakes on the island of Octo, including spearfishing from great heights and uh, milking things. But... While she's following him up, I think it looks like day three, day two, maybe it's the afternoon of the second day. I don't know, really, because time is fluid and confusing in this particular movie. Um, She hears a voice. She hears something across the island in the misty distance, and she goes and walks towards it. And she finds inside of this old stump of a tree a series of books. And who comes behind her but Luke Skywalker? And he wants to know. Who are you? What did you guys think of this exchange? Was it effective? I love I love the line readings. He said, so who are you? Yeah. Two or three different times in different ways. And it same exact words, totally different meaning. It was so yeah. good. I love how kind how much kindness there was in his voice when he said, yeah. Okay, Ray from no Ray from nowhere. Like the Ray from Jakku or whichever the line was that like, mm-hmm. that, like that could have been making fun of her, but yeah. there's, there's so much more of a, a sense that he immediately identifies with her and That's recognizes, right. you know, that she is like him. And yeah. so they have this bond that is established right there, but you know, it, it grows into her unburdening herself of this Mm. secret, which really shouldn't have been a secret had he not closed himself off from the force, that she is incredibly powerful. Ben, you were going to say something? I I just, so she flies the Millennium Falcon to find this like random planet with a random island, hands Mm -hmm. the lightsaber to the last living Jedi Knight, and he's like, not impressed. And then she's like, oh, it, like it's basically like I found this tree. And he's like, oh, now I'm impressed. That's that's what did it for him. Finding the, the, the Jedi tree. That like, I, well, I, think, I think, yeah, I think he, he just thinks that she's someone from the resistance that Leia sent. Absolutely. Well, I think it, it totally makes sense to find out before this. So, yeah, I think it totally makes sense to me that Ray would give him Ray and Chewie to a certain extent would naturally give him a somewhat abridged version of. You know, well, we fought Kylo Ren and he captured us, but we escaped and wouldn't necessarily Ray wouldn't necessarily put in there. I think I clouded a stormtrooper's mind and maybe moved this lightsaber with my thoughts. And I don't know what that means. And I'm kind of terrified of it. I don't know that Ray would necessarily because here's the thing that like is easy to forget when you're watching the movie is that Ray isn't there to train. She's there to bring Luke back. 
I, she's com- not- I completely buy that explanation. I actually yeah. think that all makes perfect sense. I, I yeah. rescind I, my sarcastic. Yeah, I, kept, I kept forgetting that. Like <laughs> as I was watching the second time I was watching the movie, I kept forgetting like, wait, Ray isn't because that's that's the wordless. We will get there maybe later. But that's the wordless question she asks him when she holds him, the, holds him, holds his lightsaber out to him for the second time. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Will you train me? I mean, it isn't, I'm going to leave unless you train me. It's, I'm going to leave unless you become the hero again. Mm-hmm. Ray isn't looking to become the hero until the third act of the movie. She isn't looking to be active in shaping the destiny of the galaxy. She wants Luke to do that for her. Because that's what she was told to go do, right? Yeah. She's not uppity. She doesn't want to do it herself. Yeah, She's the whole first the movie was like, the tools. That, that's the first line of the first movie. Luke Skywalker is gone right it's vanished yeah yeah so, so but what is the what sets uh, luke over the edge to decide that he's going to train her it's escaping me it's it's been a long podcast already but what, oh, is, what happens charlie, to make her... it's charlie how could you forget i forgot i'm sorry it's r2d2 oh yes mm-hmm. so luke goes back onto the millennium falcon he flips the three he switches he gets on. the button he doesn't want ray and chewy to know that he's and having this it, moment while of while nostalgia Chewie's eating the yeah. yeah. Well, Chewie's a porg. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. there, there, un, it just kind of tucked into the corner is his old buddy R2D2, which must resonate with the Force now. He knows he's in the room. He, he feels him. And they have this conversation where he flips on the video of Princess Leia from 30, 40 years ago. And Luke goes, Oh, it's a low blow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but it's the perfect. It, how else is R2 going to get his point across? in beeps and squeaks to the audience without that. It was, mm-hmm. it was great. It was great. So then Luke goes back. He has a think and he, he steps to the sleeping Ray on the oh. bench outside his sulking hut and says, tomorrow morning at dawn, it begins three lessons. And all of a sudden we're in a goddamn samurai movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that first lesson I think was just, I thought it was, it took the humor of the intro of the movie, it carried it forward, but it was also doing a lot of heavy lifting for the overall narrative that the force has in this movie. He takes Ray out onto this precipice to the, the stone and he says, reach out. And she reaches out her hand <laughs> and she goes, can you feel this? This palm frond. Can you feel it? Oh, oh, you're so powerful. Smacks her hand. It was great. Yeah. But I, talk, that, I talked about that in my re- review obliquely because I didn't want to give anything away, but I think that, there's something really emblematic in the way that scene goes that it that is spreads out to the rest of the last Jedi, which is mm-hmm. that um, Yoda training Luke is a foundational like scene in modern cinema and like modern genre cinema. You mm-hmm. cannot do a training scene since the Empire Strikes Back without reckoning with its place in the audience's knowledge of your genre. You maybe don't have to reference it, but you have to understand that this is what the audience has seen before. This is something they know. So I'm going to have to, yeah, Yeah. I'm going to have to do something different. I can't remake that even if, even accidentally. Um, And the position that Star Wars is in now as a franchise is that it has to still be Star Wars, but it also has to innovate on the iconic moments that it created just in the way that everything else in its genre has to. 
it's a but it has to do to that in. while still being Star Wars. And I feel like that, like that, that's the thing that that Force Awakens did a little too closely. It didn't innovate enough. It just felt it felt like it rhymed with everything else, and it felt like a Star Wars movie. But it didn't. It didn't really step. It didn't build on top of the scaffolding that is built on top of Star Wars, um, and that a lot of the decisions the Last Jedi makes is building new scaffolding on Star Wars themes. And the easiest sort of little nugget of the movie to show that is Luke just kind of being a little shit, like to Ray <laughs> about him. And then, yeah, and the yeah, and the moment where she goes, "Oh, you you meant reach out like." And then he just tilts his head. Uh-huh. And she goes, "Okay, okay, let's try again. I got it now." Their chemistry I felt was just perfect. I wanted them to be on screen together more than they were. I really did. It was so yeah. joyful we their, have been, their, their yeah. expressions. We've been sleeping on Mark Hamill for decades. Yeah. And I say that yeah. as like the biggest fucking Batman fan. Like like I know what he's been doing since, but we like he's so good in this. But I, I alluded to the weight that this first lesson has for the storyline of the Force in this movie. And that weight here is that the Force does not belong to anyone. Mm-hmm. It is, mm-hmm. it is, it surrounds us, it penetrates us, it binds the universe together, mm-hmm. but you yeah. cannot own it. It yeah. is not real, yours. Real quick question. Um, who, who, owned, who, who was making the argument that anybody owned the Force? Nobody. I think. Yeah. I think a lot of what Luke pushes back on it. I think a lot of what, how they present Ray's understanding of what the Force is is trying to frame her as um, sort of like a little kid's understanding of Star Wars. Yeah. That what do mm-hmm. Jedi do? Well, they can do mind tricks and they can lift things with their lift. minds. I guess. <laughs> Lift rocks. And they use yeah. laser swords. And these are the things we know mm-hmm. about Jedi. Um, and I think that that's sort of where Luke is pushing at her understanding of it. And in that, that felt like it made sense to me, even if that, that like the force isn't a, isn't a power that you can accrue and it's not a zero sum game. Um, that it's something that exists, and, and and what the point that Luke is really trying to make is that the Force exists regardless of whether the Jedi as an organization exists. Yeah, um, right. I agree with you, and I agree with Luke. I just don't think anybody was ever like had ever thought differently <laughs> in in the canon. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's it feels something like a straw man argument to me because he's saying like, "Aha, it doesn't belong to the Jedi," which like, yeah, totally, you're right. Hmm. The Jedi as an organization existed to like help and train they were the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy right like they weren't the guardians of the force uh they but they had a it was it was it was a system it was a it was an organization that helped people uh hone their abilities and then had those people go out and use those abilities for good i read Uh, it slightly differently to you i can see where you're coming from but maybe i thought this is Luke unpacking some of his history with the Force. Mm-hmm. This is him trying to start from his own framework of, of yep. where he went wrong with the Temple that he mm-hmm. that he grabbed grabbed too hard at the Force. And, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, I, I think mean, there's the, this. The, the, 
the thing behind this all is that he's not actually teaching her to use the force. Right. Like mm-hmm. these are these are lessons that seem like he's training her, but the lesson of the lesson is you don't need this. But the lesson immediately goes south, and she is attracted to this strange crystal obelisk under the island. Somebody help me with this. This the seaweed dark cave. The seaweed dark There's cave. There's a dark with place the... under the island. What's I think horse? every every <laughs> island. What, what what is in there? Only what you it's, take with you. Right. It's balance. What, I mean, Luke says it. Powerful light, powerful dark. It's, Geologically it's, speaking, it every island has a dark side anus. Like this is <laughs> just science. We've known it for decades. It's mm-hmm. in the books. Now, I've seen Lost. So then, in my <laughs> head canon, the the <laughs> Jedi Order. <laughs> Therefore. This particular <laughs> island to house this monastery because of no spoilers. this giant thing under the island. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, 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 I don't Man. know about that. It's like we're going to be know. so light side up here. We need a really shitty island to put well, our think, light side on. I think that's the thing. Like, it's about like it balance. or not. The, like it or not. Yes, exactly. Like it or not, the for, there is the concept of balance is part of the force. That wasn't so much. Mm-hmm part of the original trilogy but it was an enormous part of the prequels and uh gosh the the beginning of uh the force awakens uh actually deals with this you know uh, like this will begin to make things right or you know the idea that it is i think it's a little weird frankly that like it's out of balance and needs to be in balance or whatever but like them's them's the rules uh and this does not in that sense deviate from our understanding of what uh, the force is. Yeah. So this is this is the way I I see it or I saw it having thought way too much about Star Wars films in my time. Well, first off in in terms of the the dark side um island anus, like I it was my understanding that Yoda hit on Dagobah because of the dark side tree where Luke kills Darth Vader Luke because it cloaked him. That the idea is if you're surrounded by this very powerful natural like font of force power, it cloaks you. It makes you harder okay. to find. So Yoda hid on Dagobah near a very strong neg- like force energy. So if anyone scanned using the force, they're like, oh, no, it's just the tree we know is there. Same thing with this crazy island where okay. they're, they're, they're scanning the force for Luke and they just like, oh, no, that's the dark side anus. Like, we know that's there. But she but goes straight. But, but, no, but nobody knows where this place is. Like, right. Let's, it, just, it, let's assume you're correct. But also okay, Charlie's trying to get us back on, on track. <laughs> So, yeah. so the idea, so the yeah, idea this, is, yeah, the, this is, this is cut. the force <laughs> itself is interested in balance and it moves towards yeah. some kind of equilibrium. So it's possible through this like new reading of like, no, it doesn't belong to anyone. That's vanity is that the actions of, you know, sentient beings in this galaxy can pull the force in one mm-hmm. way or the other. Like if the Sith are in power, it's pulled towards the dark side. And mm-hmm. then the force is going to naturally resist that and go, mm-hmm. okay, I need to move towards order. And then it's going to arrange things in the limited way it has to create people, uh, aliens, whatever, who can tap into that source of power and create balance again. It's basically just like a general fate-like thing Mm-hmm. That moves away from the imbalance. It's like an evil like, box of baking soda. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not so much <laughs> that like it cares about balance is that as other people who are wielding dark side or light side pull it out of balance, it just resists. Right. So it's, it's a law of nature. 
Right. And in, I in think that that's kind of what Luke is saying. Like, you don't need Jedi. You don't need the books. You don't need the wisdom. The Force is going to do its own thing. And that almost might be a justification of, like, you don't need to deal with this. The Force needs to deal with this. I don't need to deal with mm-hmm. this. This is just the thing that's going to happen. If I don't do it, someone else will. We're, we're good. Which is kind of like a really uh, self-absorbed uh, way of looking at it. Because then you don't have responsibility for anything. Well, yeah. And Ray is basically like, no, you actually you do know a little bit more than your average person. Like you do have responsibility to this situation. Uh Yeah. See also the original trilogy. Right. Yeah. And and so like I actually see how to return to this whole argument. I see how Luke got here. Like that line of reasoning makes sense to me where he's like, I thought I was just going to rebuild the Jedi order. That was vanity. It turns out the forest is bigger than any one person. I can't Mm -hmm. do much to impact it. Therefore I can sit this out and it's going to be fine because the forest is going to take care of itself. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, while the training has begun, um, Ray and Kylo Ren, begin to have what I can only describe as a, a series of force instigated meat cutes where they <laughs> astrally project into the same space and can see each other force and then and then yeah. also touch force hands time. and it it was I this entire sequence was the most challenging for me to grok my first time through the movie and it it there's three or four of them like what did you guys think of this mm-hmm this entire structure that they created yeah. around these two. Well, the, weird. the moment, the moment that Kylo Ren slides on his socks out into the hallway and, <laughs> and says, <laughs> says, <laughs> says you couldn't possibly be doing this. The effort alone would kill you immediately. I was like, well, then it's Snoke, right? Like it's Snoke. Yeah. It's clearly oh. Snoke. It's definitely Snoke. Okay. Um, and Snoke admits as, as much later in the movie. He's like, I connected your minds. I needed you to, I needed both, I knew both of you would manipulate each other into coming together and Ray would just come to me and I wouldn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that sense, and I know there are the, like, there has been a lot of pushback about people saying, people going, that's not how the force works. <laughs> um, and I think that there, there are definitely discussions to be had about like, blowing your blowing your cannon wide open and introducing new elements mm-hmm. and i think this would bother me much more if it wasn't universally used in this movie for really really meaty character emotional work mm-hmm. it also i agree with that and it also justifies what happens at the end yeah it is is it is a bit of sideways foreshadowing for that kind of stuff but it, but it does like it. Total, I don't know. The, like it's the, the idea that you can. Uh, it's weird to me, mm-hmm. and uh, weird in a way that, like, I don't know. Nobody used force pushing in the original trilogy, right? Mm-hmm. But at the very beginning of Episode One, I forget who it is, Qui Gon or Obi Wan uses force push on a droid and like at that moment that was a way to expand what the force did but it didn't feel weird it was like oh yeah that what totally they could do that this felt to me slightly different because it is 
weird. Like, I just want to say that Darth Vader uses force push in Empire Strikes Back. The, the, I believe the difference in the prequels was that everybody decided that force push and force lightning were things that only the Sith did because they were evil and bad. Mm. And that, and that mm. when Qui Gon did them, it was like, oh well, I guess, I guess, okay, fine, I guess, right. I guess George uh, yeah. Lucas is in charge. Sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, right. like, I what's just the seen, difference? One between... seemed like a logical expansion, and the other one seemed uh, a bit of a stretch. Go if ahead, you ben. can force lift an X wing out of a swamp, like you can push a yeah. gun out of someone's. Yeah, hand. it was just it was this whole idea of like using the force for physical violence or something like kinetic like sure. for kinetic i don't know anyway um and also it's that we never there's never a part in any of these films that came bef- before this episode where someone mm-hmm. is like listen i'm a jedi master i've been doing this for a long time here's the exact limits of the force yeah and there's even this like idea in um the the new trilogy which is still canonical in yep. some ways where like the, the idea that there is like lost arcane uh, dark side and light side powers mm-hmm. that are hidden and can be taught or can be discovered. Or if you're so powerful, you can bend mm-hmm. the force to do whatever you want. Yeah. Like that was the whole idea yeah. with dark Darth Plagueis the Wise, right? There's this arcane way to keep people you love alive, whether or not that actually ever existed or it was just a ploy to create Darth Vader, but I think being like a force purist in the context of this fandom, mm-hmm. I don't want to look down on anyone is literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. It's like, like, oh, that it's, sound like it's a space Yikes. story where the ships make screaming sounds in the vacuum of space. Oh, uh, and like, uh, I like there's, there's a certain extent and I will go to bat on this, that star Wars is a fantasy story. It's not mm-hmm. a science fiction story. And the difference between star, science fiction and fantasy is that um, science fiction stories are hooked and arranged around this idea that that we want to find out how everything works and how everything works is a core part of why we're interested in this story. We're interested in mm-hmm. building a story where maybe some things work a little differently, but ultimately we want everything to work. And fantasy stories are arranged around this framework of, that is about where we are interested in how things are different and we're not interested in explaining why. We're interested in exploring the effects of them being different without getting into why they're different. Um, and everything in Star Wars has always run on the rule of cool. If it's cool, you can do it. Lightsabers are cool. It is not cool to think about why they end three feet out and don't go on forever if they're a laser. They're just, they work that way because it is cooler that way and more useful you, that way. Why do TIE fighters t- make that screaming noise? Because it's cool. When you, fl- when you flush a toilet on the Enterprise, it, the toilet flushes. When you flush a toilet in Star Wars, there's a wizard inside. <laughs> like, <it's laughs> they're like, they're like, why isn't there relativistic time at high light speeds in Star Wars? Because that's complicated and we just want it to be cool. Right. Um, and the cool right, part I, about this is what Susanna alludes to, and that's the heavy lifting that it allows it to do for the character arc of Kylo Ren. I was a million times more interested in Kylo Ren in this movie than I was in the last one. And I think because because I think throughout the course of these meet cutes, he's beginning to develop some very serious feelings for Ray. And I think that that is this new poison that's being dripped into his ear, is this love of anything. 
that he was I, almost incapable of before. I, I like I like that that love of anything. Like I'm not I'm not saying that he's not he doesn't have feelings for Ray. I'm not sold on it, but it definitely seems to me that Kylo Ren needs a friend because he doesn't have anybody right mm-hmm. and he's actually having a connection with ray and that is super meaningful and it's for him. and it's a it's, connection that he feels will further his path as compared to the rest of his connections which are dishonorable failings like the fact that he mm-hmm. can't he can't bring himself to fire on leia and knowingly kill her um and he has to so, let he has to let the stormtroopers around him or the x-wing the tie fighter pilots around him do it instead Snoke wants him to dis- Snoke wants him to deny his feelings and destroy his past and this is his rebellion against Snoke. He wants to not destroy Rey, he wants to incorporate Rey. Like just like you're saying this is part of his grasp at power, but he wants to do it his own way. Yeah, and there's a, an interesting thing where it's like Snoke is saying you have to destroy your past, but Ray isn't in, in his past. They have they have no connection outside of their their misadventures, as as far as we know. This is him attempting, maybe for the first time in his life, to build a future in which he's an active participant. Like he sought out two teachers who failed him immensely, and now he's like, I'm going to take agency in my life. This is someone I want to be a part of. That he's reaching out to someone. Not in a way of asking for help, but being like, we can we can rule the galaxy, right? That famous line. Like, I think that's a real turning point in that character of him taking some responsibility for his own path, even if it's a real dark, yeah. crappy path. It's so like, twisted. It's so twisted. But he is saying that, like, I am responsible for my future. I am done being someone else's student because everyone who's tried to teach me has let me down. It's on me to try to figure out some path towards something. And it's really messed up, but that sense of empowerment he gets when he kind of sets off on his own and reaching for this other human being, I found like touching. I'm like, this is like a really interesting development and I feel for him. It just sucks that his life warped him so bad that it's not at the service of anything good. And I don't think that's a failing on him. I think that's a failing on circumstances and the people around him. While we're here, I kind of want to close up this storyline and then move on to one of the next ones that's parallel. Eventually, Rey and Kylo are having their moment where they touch hands and Luke feels it and he rushes in and he literally blows the roof off Rey's sulking hut. And poor caretakers. (laughs) Those poor little caretakers. Those poor (laughs) turtle-faced nuns. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, nuns. But... And then there's this confrontation between Luke and Ray, and they start mm. going at it. Ray with her bow, Luke with the antenna off the water evaporator that's up the hill. Uh, can't, can't, you know, you can take the boy off Tatooine, but you can't take the Tatooine out of the boy. And then eventually, Luke falls. Ray grabs the lightsaber and holds it over him and demands answers for what happened at the Jedi Temple. What did you guys think of this flashback and the the differing viewpoints between Luke and Kylo's interpretation of what happened uh, at the massacre at his Jedi temple? It's a really interesting way to turn what we thought was going on on its on its side, because there was this feeling or at least a feeling I had of this story up to that point where it was like, Luke, this isn't your fault. Like a student turned 
et cetera, et cetera. And then when he explained exactly what happened, it's like, oh, gosh, no, I'm sorry. It is your fault. You did mess up. Like, this is kind of on your head. Like, it's, it was a human failing, right? This is like people are fallible. But his inability to take responsibility for it and make it right, yeah, like I did start to judge him a little to a lot bit at that point. Because it wasn't just a light side, dark side thing. That was him going immediately to fear and violence instead of trying to help his pupil through something every Jedi apprentice at some point you think has to go through. Mm-hmm. Being tempted by the Jedi has to – being tempted by the dark side has to be like Jedi apprentice puberty. Like <laughs> whether it happens sooner or later, it's going to happen to everyone at some point. And your teacher should be able to guide you through it and like teach you how to be at peace and let the feelings pass. And etc. And he failed. Yeah. Yeah. And this is another theme that runs throughout this movie uh, that always fails, as far as I'm aware, which is people, for some reason, force users believe that they can look to the future and accurately determine what the deal is. Um, You know, Luke looks at Ben Solo and sees all the darkness and blah, blah, blah. And he has a he has a what he calls a fleeting response to that. I don't think it's a wild, wildly out of character or a wrong response to that. Like thinking maybe he needs to kill his, it's crazy, but like maybe if what he saw is true, he needs to take care of this now rather than later Uh, on, on, you know, the Snoke will make the, the, the mistake later after the touching force time scene, Ray believes that she's seen Kylo Ren's future and everything's going to be happy. Like it's, it, it keeps happening in this movie and it never quite works out for anybody. Well, we definitely see, like we see people having premonitions and then the premon, their reaction to the premonition, causing it to come to pass. Anakin sees that Padme is going to die in childbirth Uh and freaks out about it and causes it to come to pass. Um, Luke senses that Kylo is going to wreak great destruction and evilness on the galaxy, freaks out about it, and that causes it to come to pass. Um, and you'd think that the, the Jedi would have like worked out the kinks in that. Seems to me point. something Luke may have known. Yeah. Well, wasn't that Yoda's argument though, where he was saying that yeah. Luke's yeah. problem was that he's always looking towards the horizon. Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of thinking like, oh, you know what's going to happen. Now you have yeah. to fix it before where it happens. Where you are, what you right. are doing. <laughs> and where he was and what he was doing was he is a teacher passing down an ancient religion. And like a really bad way to teach is to raise your hand to a student. Mm-hmm. And Luke raised his hand to a student in basically the most serious way you can. Yeah. So, and, right. But this is Luke on the other, uh, you know, this is this is Luke forgetting what Yoda told him. Yeah. So about how difficult to always in motion is Mm -hmm. the future. Right. Like that's that's a lesson he didn't carry forward. I was just pushing back on the idea that the Jedi aren't learning this. Clearly, Yoda was trying to impart that Mm -hmm. of like if you had just had done what was right in the moment Mm -hmm. instead of trying to move towards or away from a possible future, everything would have been fine. And, s- and I want to talk more no. about Yoda. I want to talk more about Yoda in yes. our next episode because I think that he really kicks off the third act of this movie and, and begins that spiral into the conclusion that we find. But so I, do, I want to, I want right, to sidestep Yoda. Ray right judges now. Luke. 
for his revelation. She offers him the lightsaber once again, asking him, this is her ultimatum. I'm going to go do this thing unless you become you, unless you get out of here and become Luke Skywalker. And he says he can't. And Ray goes off to try and turn Kylo to the light side of the force, leaving Ray's storyline. Of course, there is this, there's this, um, I'm trying to think of a charitable word. There's this distraction, other thing <laughs> happening with, oh, waste of- with, with, um, Finn and Rose at Canto Bite. And it begins with them uh, parallel parking in a red zone, basically <laughs> on the beach of Canto Bite. Now let's yeah. give one shout out to that ship that looks like it's going to go over off a waterfall and then just flies into the air as like an example mm-hmm. of complete decadence in the galaxy. <laughs> but then it just kind of looks like someplace on Maui. Like, it's kind of disappointing. It's like evil space Monte Carlo. Yeah. It was, it was just dimly lit, and, and I, I was not impressed with the look of Canto Bite. And then they, just, then they just park bad and start running around, and Finn loves it. Finn has never been so excited to be inside a casino before. But Rose, Rose has all these emotions, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, Finn just yes. got out of the First Order. He just got out of a situation of extreme austerity and... Like, no, I don't, I don't, I mean, what kind of, I don't know, maybe they got some, like, you know, like, like, Finn is. Shore leave? Yeah, who knows? Or, like, chits yeah. to spend in the commissary. Much, like, Finn. He wasn't allowed to have a name. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Finn right. does not, yeah. like, it makes sense to me that Finn would take all of this stuff at face value and be like, oh, just, like, mm-hmm. look at these people in cool clothes, like, doing cool things. Um, and... And that Rose would be like, uh, let's talk about Marxism. Um, <laughs> come out here and let me tell you about my shitty backstory. And, and it comes out that Rose grew up on a, on a low-income planet, I guess, where she was a effectively a child colony. slave. A mining colony. And her, her, her town was bombed so that they could merely test their weapons. And she wants to put her fist through this whole beautiful place, she says. And I think that um, that actress delivered those very awkward lines very well, I thought, but they were still a little awkward, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It just felt it felt very forced. And it was interesting to be in the casino and see all the aliens. But ultimately, I, I didn't want to be there, guys. I wanted to be mm-hmm. in space with the battle and the time distortion yeah, that I needed to it's fix internally. Like I found it to be a very visually engaging subplot, like yeah. secondary plot for the movie. Just like the horse dog rabbit guys were great, and like the stampede mm-hmm. and the chase, and you know. Um, uh, Benicio del Toro's character I found to be very, very charming and arresting and fun to watch, um, and a lot of BB-8 hijinks. Um, but the the emotional core of this one is not as hefty as in the other plots yeah. of the movie. Yeah, and I think the I think my biggest problem, I guess, two I have two I don't know which one's bigger problems with this. Ultimately, this this doesn't resolve to much of anything. Like it's a giant failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of weird to spend so much time in a long movie on something that really just doesn't actually work out. Uh, but like the the moment of revelation is is kind of weird to me. Like 
when <laughs> when she says like there's a there's this there's a great line from episode one uh uh, I think it was in the first trailer where I forget Santa Claus looking guy. I can't think of his name uh, goes uh, a communications disruption can mean only one thing invasion. And it's like a perfect line and it builds up, you know, the tension and ratchets that, you know, like it just makes you interested and scared and, and, and into the plot until you go, really? Like, is that the only thing that communications disruption can mean? You know, once you think about it, it's like, well, I, I guess, but maybe not. And I felt the same way when she's like, what's the only way that anybody could be at a pleasure casino? And he's like, war profiteering. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I, I, all right. I, I don't know. It just was a little, they had to get there, but the way they got there was a little shortcutty to me. Well, the other option was to introduce four more characters who are on different sides no. of the war profiteering end. Okay. So I think, I think there were uh, accommodations were made <laughs> to get them through this. Uh-huh. We also get introduced but, to some very important uh, urchins. Yes. Yes, we do. And these are the urchins that mm-hmm. um, they, they care for the Faradors or the, 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 the big... Farriers, sure. something like that. I wasn't sure. They're big, beautiful, deadly dangerous uh, race greyhound dog horses. And they have big floppy ears like rabbits. But And then inside that stall with the one that they eventually ride to safety is this little urchin. And Rose uses her secret decoder ring to reveal that she is a member of uh-huh. the resistance. And apparently that's mm-hmm. cool. Like urchins buy that. He knows about it, I guess. Yeah. Later, know. of course, we return to this group of urchins, and it's it's something that I want to talk about because it was beautiful um, to me the second time around when I saw it, but we'll save that for next episode. But eventually, they they hop on the pony, and they ride on out of there, and who is there waiting to pick them up but Benicio Del Toro and BB-8 right. in the Starship. BB-8 has done the actual job that they were there to do. <laughs> he managed it all on his own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's got DSX like, Makina via Makina, I yeah. guess. They had um, oh God, Charlie. <laughs> thank you. Mm. That Latin finally comes in handy. Man, um, it, it's like it it the the way I put it in, in my write-up about the movie's length is this was Dorn. You know, when Game of Thrones is like, before yeah. we get to the interesting things, let's go to this incredibly boring place where nothing narratively matters. Mm-hmm. Where, like, the, the characters are all spinning their wheels. Like, it could have been, like, a line of dialogue. Right. Oh, we got a code breaker. Instead, it was, like, $100 million worth of stampedes that meant nothing. Yep. But the, we got none rose. of the emotional beats land. If you were like, okay, let's do Las Vegas on Star Wars. And apparently your set designer's big idea is, like, okay, like, suits and dice. And I'm literally out of ideas. Yeah, I don't there are know. not a lot of wide well, right. shots it's... inside that casino. What if the boat flies? <laughs> right, right. Good, good and the job, guy. Right. And, and I mean... Like to call out the obvious, we are retreading the cantina again. Yeah, I was like, waiting for them uh, to pan to the cantina band. I thought that Figger and Dan had gotten a new gig. <laughs> well, there, yeah, there is the that musical cue where it's like yeah. kind of like the. I mean, the modal nodes were certainly playing that night. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, I will say one last thing i'm I'm glad that the casino was not guarded by stormtroopers it seems like everywhere in the empire even the most menial guard duty task is performed by the emperor's elite clad in white plate but no these are just some dinguses and some like epaulets <laughs> and a white helmet uh-huh. that was nice to see yeah. somebody getting yeah. gunned down there, there are rent cops right. in star wars right. too 
Yeah. yeah. And and really, Ryan Johnson was not super into using stormtroopers in this movie. Like, oh? there's not yeah. many of them. Unpack that for me. I, I I I certainly saw a lot of them laid out in the in the uh, Snoke's ship towards the end. But you know, you're not too far off. There weren't a lot of well, them. It's we're all not, we're it's all naval lot, battles. Yeah. It's all yep. it's all fighter battles in this and mm-hmm. fighting with Snoke's guards. Meanwhile, just like a little bit, a little bit of Captain Phasma action with some stormtroopers. And that's about it. Meanwhile, back with the fleet, the clock is ticking. Poe is simmering and he hatches a a very well-intentioned but poorly informed uh, plan to to take Vice Admiral Holdo hostage and occupy the bridge of the of the. resistance flagship and and mm-hmm. enact his plan. Uh, it was also nice to see Carrie Fisher's daughter there uh, at his elbow, uh, giving him assistance. I thought she did a great right. job. Holdo, Holdo finally reveals that she, her plan is to evacuate and Poe thinks that that's suicide. <sighs> so he decides to mutiny. Yes. Susanna, I, I turn to you and I, I say, I, I referenced it earlier and I, I'm, I'm, I like Laura Dern, but I, I really wish that it could have been Akbar. I don't think <laughs> that Akbar could have done this for Poe, though. Yeah. So, how how did you feel about Poe's arc and and how it kind of came to came to its turn here? I kind of really, I, I mean, I, like I said before, I really liked that the way we decided to give Poe a real character was to ask the question: What if he was kind of bad at his job? And to, and also to like to 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 use him to start talking about. I think there's been some contention among the office as to how this how well this actually played in the movie, um, but to get Poe from the idea of we need to throw everything that we have at them, casualties mm-hmm. be damned, we have to get it done, to. We need to think more strategically and long term that the fight isn't going to be won today. We have to still be around. Um. And I, I think that, you know, there, there's a number of different ways that they could have accomplished it. But I thought that I think that Leia kicking in the door and, and just shoot the guy was a great Amazing. way to bring it to an end. Amazing. I thought it was just, you know, the... Because the yeah. sh- on the audience level, you get on that like, oh no, they're about to break down the door. That'll ruin everything. And then the door busts down and Leia's there. And you go, oh great, it's Leia. Everything's fine. And then she shoots <laughs> Poe. Yep. And all of a sudden you're thrust back yeah. into uncertainty. Wait, what's going on? Right. Yeah, I like that heart how can i not like, I, I like the the resolution as far as the character goes but it, it's very difficult for me to like at the point at which part of your crew mutinies mm-hmm. uh rather than like getting escorted to the place wherever they're gonna take you and letting it unfold i think that's the point where you say actually we have a plan yep like you don't just let it unfold for X amount of minutes mm-hmm. after that. Well, the only reason you do it seems to me is because it's more interesting to resolve right. plot wise with a different. I absolutely thing. Like, agree. Yeah, Ben, you've been quiet over there. Are you stewing about Poe Dameron? What's wrong? No, it's. Uh, I I thought Laura Dern was awesome because I'm I'm always on on 
Team Dern. Um, yeah, it, it, there really, there really is like, if you look at this from Leia's point of view, it's like she's been fighting this grinding war of attrition for so damn long. In terms of the timeline, she just lost her husband how many hours ago? Yeah. Like, the history yeah. of this character being like, you have to start taking these losses seriously. And, like, this is a rebellion of people. And, yeah, it's built on hope. And, yeah, you have to be self-sacrificing. But for the love of God, like, for there to be any reason for this, somebody has to survive. Yeah. She's given so much. I, I totally believe every aspect of that performance and i thought it was just gosh what an amazing thing to watch what an amazing thing to watch leia gets to be the one of the three major returning characters who's got it figured out Mm -hmm. right she's not in the middle of an arc she hasn't regressed she hasn't run away to the secret jedi planet of secrets like She's just got and it just together. A, and, and, and a moment of silence for the potential episode nine in which she was the major. It was supposed to yeah. be her movie. Yeah. Oh, and if no. that was supposed to be her movie and this wasn't her film, yeah. like if this yeah. is the middle of what's going to become a bigger arc, my yeah. God, what did we miss yeah. out on? Because this was yeah. amazing. She learned lessons through the entirety of the movie's moving up to this and she is wise and she does have insight and she is successfully teaching people and she has like Mm -hmm. moved to a place of seemingly inner peace and is able to pass those lessons on so good and so well handled and so well shot nothing but amazing things to say for carrie fisher what a freaking tragedy my gosh Mm -hmm. I am so excited to talk more about Carrie because she plays such a big role in the third act of this movie. And it's going to be, it's going to have to wait until the next time that we get together, guys, because duty calls and the newsroom is hopping and we all have things yeah. to attend to. We can't just dally about all day talking about Star Wars. <laughs> you got to promise but... me that we'll come back to Ray and her reflection of herself, which we skipped yeah, that's over. That's a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, we and did. just put a shirt on if you're going to like... <laughs> Force text someone, you know it's going to happen before it happens. Like that whole thing, like I can't relax because I'm in mid flex because now I'm like, oh, if I let go, she'll know that my pecs don't always look like this. Dude, put a shirt on. Not cool. I know a lot of our listeners really look forward to these episodes every year. I know that I certainly do. We've got a whole week for them to wait. Does anybody have some Star Wars content that they might recommend to them in the interim? Something that they have not yet encountered that relates to The Last Jedi. How should they fill their week, Susanna? Hmm. I've been reading Bloodlines lately, which is a tie-in novel about, it's, it was originally a Force Awakens tie-in novel about Leia in the Senate, um, in the period where um, Ben is training with Luke but hasn't turned yet. And it's sort of about her grappling with the flaws in galactic government after the empire and going on adventures with blasters and speeders and stuff, even though she's a middle-aged lady, it's great. Um, And I'm not, I'm not all the way through it, but it's been, it's been doing a lot of the work that the movies don't do to explain what the political situation is in the rest of the galaxy. Cause that's kind of too much to fit in to, ships and blasters and lightsabers and stuff. Um, but I found it to be really yeah. informative and, and there's a lot of stuff in it that I wish was explained better in the movies. 
The, also, I would also recommend the uh, the Captain Phasma comics for ep- episodes, four issues. It's a really tight little story arc. It's fun. It's beautifully illustrated, and it kind of it tells you exactly what Captain Phasma has been up to between the two movies. Uh, and I think it's it's interesting for fans of that particular series of comics to see her in the third act. Any any other suggestions, Ben, Dave? Uh, go nope. back and play Jedi Academy 2. <laughs> just just play it. It's so good, especially in multiplayer. That's it. I don't have a lot of deep thoughts. It's a, it's a great game. Well, thank you all for joining me here today. And thanks to you at home for listening. Until we've got another game to talk about, this is Charlie Hall for Susanna Polo, Dave Tack, and Ben Kachera. Thank you for listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.